Welcome to the Trusted Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Iroquois Group. Iroquois is your trusted advisor in all things insurance. I'm Edwin K. Morris. Welcome to the Trusted Advisor Podcast. Today we have Sean McVicker of Excess Brokers. He is the division leader in their casualty brokerage unit. We are going to discuss the general liability and umbrella issues associated with habitational accounts, specifically condos and apartments. Sean, let's talk about casualty. Are you seeing the on the casualty side where admitted markets are starting to exit the habitational space and you're seeing more opportunities on your side? Certainly. I mean, so much of what Brennan said is mirrored in the casualty side as well. And uh, on one hand, you know, habitational and real estate business should be simple. It's a building. You know, we're going to write insurance for a building. What's so complicated about it? But there are many things that make it complicated. And you know what you kept hearing Brendan reference was different regions of the country having different considerations, um, not just from an underwriting standpoint. And frankly, the underwriting standpoint comes second. Uh, the underwriting changes in different parts of the country because of different risk characteristics, different legal climates, different, you know, the plaintiff's bar in Tri-County, Florida is different from the sidewalk laws of New York City. So, so much of the real estate space is really different in different parts of the country. Uh, You also have a much different environment sometimes in the primary space as opposed to the excess and umbrella space. Um, And so there's just a lot of different dynamics at play that the goal is to be able to have a mastery of all of those different things that might cross our desk on any given day so that the process of scouring the market doesn't necessarily start when we have an account on our desk. It's been ongoing as far as our constant communication with our carrier partners, our constant education of ourselves about what the admitted markets are doing, what the programs are doing, um, because our ability to best advise our clients doesn't just rest on our products and our solutions. Uh, Our ability to best deploy them relies on our understanding of um, what better options might be out there. Um, so it's a very it's a very complex environment for something that is seemingly a pretty straightforward exposure, that being real estate and habitational business. And so uh, it relies a lot of partnership between us, our carrier partners, and our retailers as well. You touched on all the the different litigious environments around the country and how those vary state to state. When you're looking at the losses from apartments and condo on a from a GL perspective, what are you seeing there? Well, there's two things that I think are more just observational. One is that the limit for uh, your average general liability policy has been one, two, since longer than I've been in the industry. Uh, It hasn't adjusted for inflation in general, uh, and it certainly hasn't adjusted for the social inflation that's driving the claims verdicts. And so it's interesting from the standpoint that in a lot of the firming that we've seen, when a general liability carrier is only deploying 1 million in limits, their underwriting considerations are very different than what the excess and umbrella markets are looking at. Um, So I think that that creates for a different answer and commentary on the GL side compared to the excess in many cases. The, The second observation though that I would say is that if you talk to anybody who's had an underwriting background and um, had any sort of formal training, one of the things that you learn as an underwriter is the difference between severity exposure and frequency exposure. And in my experience, the classic frequency exposure was real estate business and habitational business, meaning that there was a lot of uh, slip and falls, 
other nuisance type claims, but the verticality wasn't quite there. And you really can't say that anymore. I think that all of us would probably agree that the challenge in the real estate and habitational space from a claim standpoint is that not only do we have the frequency exposure and our increasingly increasingly litigious environment is only driving increased frequency, but there's also the pops where we're seeing the verticality that is uh, really challenging the profitability of these carriers, and especially on the excess side, uh, resulting in uh, their reduction in, in the capacity deployment that they're putting out. On those GL claims, both the particularly on the CAT side, there was an agent I was talking to yesterday, and you know they had a four million dollar pop where somehow a an infant rolled out of a bed and got jammed into a radiator heater, and somehow the infant was there for you know for several hours, very severe burn. So you know that's like the extreme case, but. Are you seeing other cases like that and, uh, you know, that are going into the excess layer or is it situations where, you know, with an apartment, you can have multiple fatalities, multiple injuries uh, from a fire? The answer is both. The answer is undoubtedly both. I mean, the freak accidents seem to become increasingly common uh, and less rare. Uh, We've seen, you know, to add to some of those examples, we've had Somebody meant to press the brake in the parking garage of the apartment building and accidentally hit the gas and pinned somebody up against the wall. Uh, That was a very vertical claim. Um, We've got a number of other different unique situations that are truly, you know, what we in this industry describe as the shock losses. But from a a multiplicative claimant standpoint, uh, the life safety exposure, uh, even from the GL side, that that you have to take into consideration when it comes to fire losses, uh, where bodily injury is a reality, smoke inhalation is a reality. Those are things that are certainly being underwritten for on the casualty side. Uh, you know, one of the big items that uh, people will look at, underwriters will look at uh, when you're thinking about those sorts of exposures is the number of stories of a building. Uh, the life safety from a, you know, typically what we think of as the property controls, um, but those are very relevant as far as giving people ample notice of a situation that's gone awry and then ample time to vacate the premises. And so those are all considerations that on the casualty side as well, underwriters are taking closer looks at. Are you seeing any increase requests for automatic sprinkler systems simply from a life safety standpoint? Certainly. And I think that the interesting piece that I would say is that while it's certainly a a hard market, a firming market, we still are here to field the the distressed business where even though we'd like to see and our underwriters would like to see that on every risk, it's just not the reality. And so I wouldn't say that we're in a situation where when push comes to shove, uh, solutions aren't available when things like automatic sprinkler systems are in place. We certainly see the aluminum wiring, some some knob and tube, um, which again, it doesn't just impact the property exposure. It, it, it's a life safety exposure on the casualty side as well. From a security standpoint, are you seeing a lot of claims uh, from that standpoint for failure to provide adequate security for whether it's a condo unit or a, an apartment complex? And I know you've had legal experts on this podcast who are much better versed than I in some of these, but one of my observations from conversations with underwriters that not in all cases, but in many cases, when you hire and provide armed security or any security at all, 
in some sense, it's an acknowledgement of a higher exposure and an assumption of greater liability. Um, you knew it was there, you were aware of it as evidenced by your attempt to address it. And so if there are still then assault and battery, firearms related claims or anything of that sort, um, those are things that can definitely become problematic from a claim standpoint on the carrier side. Something I read recently, certain crime areas where the crime score is over 70, you know, it becomes much more difficult to place business in, in those zones. Are there any particular requirements for certain types of locks or lighting or anything that the carriers are, are requesting in those situations? Pretty much every account that we see on on most days is in some sort of of tougher crime area. Uh, as as tough and firming as the real estate space is, there's still an admitted presence, and there's certainly still a program presence. Uh, so when we're talking about the true ENS placements, these are things that are almost always going to be in some type of tougher crime zone. And so they want to look at, of course, what security controls are in place, like with armed security or unarmed security. Lighting obviously is something that becomes something that they're looking at. But I think that one of the things that also can help an underwriter gain a comfort level is since they understand that no matter what you do, there's going to be claims. How can we properly defend ourselves? How can they properly defend themselves? And so things like security cameras in a world where more and more of our lives and more and more incidences that occur are on video footage. I think that that is something that might help underwriters gain more of a comfort level that we're doing everything we can. The insured themselves are doing everything that they can. Um, and if we do still get hit with the claim, this information is going to give us more ability to properly defend both themselves and the insured. From a rate standpoint, are you seeing similar rate increases on the GL side as, uh, as Brendan mentioned on the property side? That's that gets more to what I was mentioning earlier about the how long we've had the one mil GL primary limit. I would argue that in many cases the the GL market has been pretty stable for the past 18 to 24 months in less distressed areas. The emitted markets and programs are still riding it. And in the more distressed areas, take New York City, for example, take the Bronx. That's not new news. Um, that's been an evolving space from an underwriting standpoint for some time now. And uh, I think that some of the the, the leading uh, lines as far as this firming cycle that we're in were auto, especially the excess auto, New York construction, and habitational. And so that habitational space from a GL standpoint uh, has definitely been maybe one of the first classes experiencing some of these firming forces. But because they're only deploying one one two limits in many cases, there's been a little bit more stability there. So when we jump over to the excess and umbrella lines, that's where we've seen more, I think, the, the impact that creates the sticker shock and the difficult conversations with clients. Because, you know, when you see increases that some of the publications will put out talking about, you know, 50% to 150% rate increases on umbrellas, in my experience, that's less a carrier simply increasing their price that much. It's oftentimes because either a high limit RPG umbrella program non-renewed them, they went out to the traditional access and surplus market and to get a replacement quote, they got half the limit for double the price. So, you know, effectively it works out to being these 100, 200, 300% rate, rate increases or more 
that total market shift from a space where I don't think any of us realized quite how much market share the umbrella RPG programs and the kind of binding authorial portal type solutions, they had so much market share in the excess uh, worlds for habitational and real estate that it, when, when there was a real quick exit from many of them, in my opinion, it wasn't so much that all of a sudden the traditional excess and umbrella underwriters drastically changed their stance. They had almost had the same stance for a long time, which was that, yes, we can consider this class, but we're not going to put up those massive limits and the pricing is just too thin. So they, in many ways, almost stayed in that same lane. The market was just so far away from them and it moved towards them very, very quickly. Well, you mentioned RPGs, and there you're talking about for the for the audience risk purchasing groups, correct? Correct. In some cases, sharing limits. In some cases, insurers do maintain their own towers, but um, these are specialized umbrella programs that um, were putting up pricing and limit capacity that just could not be matched by the traditional excess and umbrella carriers. From an umbrella standpoint, what are you seeing in terms of available limits? An individual client might be able to get $5 million, $10 million, $25 million, or you're going to have to put that in towers depending on the risk. My sense, and I think that a lot of my peers um, might feel similarly, is that we're enough through this firming cycle where much of the drastic change has occurred. And so while I'm not experiencing or expecting a rapid re-softening, I do see some stabilization. And so as far as what that looks like, it does depend on where we are in the country. In some of the less distressed legal venues um, and with some of the more preferred occupancies and preferred properties, you're still going to find umbrella programs out there that'll put up five, 10 lead limits um, and do it at good pricing. But we're talking about some of the more challenged legal venues in the country. You're looking at uh, very often markets that at most will put up a lead five um, and in many cases, we're talking about maybe a two or a three mil lead limit with somebody else coming in over the top. And it takes, as you've heard many, many times from all of the guests that have been on this podcast, a hell of a lot more carriers to fill out the same tower than it used to even just 24 months ago. In addition to the issues on the umbrella side with the with some of the rate increases and, and building the limits, what are you seeing in difference of terms being presented? Another interesting question because we've had this firming that was happening before the pandemic. The pandemic was obviously unfortunate in so many ways, but carriers still had to do what they had to do. And, and that resulted in, if anything, the, the pandemic accelerating some of the changes that the carriers were making already. And so that drove increased rates, less capacity, and tighter terms. And I think that when we think about affirming market, the obvious first thing that comes to mind is prices go up, but there's also many other ways that a market can firm. A reduction in capacity deployment is probably the second thing that comes to mind. But the third thing is, is the term tightening. And that's something that we've seen a lot. And I think that two dynamics that I've seen at play are a lot of these master schedules that had thousands and thousands of units. Um, underwriters it's a very difficult task to try to effectively underwrite a, a large schedule like that. 
Um, it's very difficult to do when insurers can participate in the risk um, with SIR arrangements and more of a risk management approach. Um, I think that those can sometimes be more sustainable. But when we were looking at some of these large master schedules with thousands of units, sometimes no deductibles, it was very challenging for underwriters to really do a deep dive and, and effectively underwrite those schedules. And so that was something that the underwriting market addressed as quickly as they did with anything. And what that meant was that a lot of these agents were left with what was one policy now being broken up into many policies. In other situations, it wasn't necessarily a massive thousands and thousands of units schedule. It was just a, a five or six unit ske uh, location schedule that was experiencing rate increase after rate increase. And the insureds simply couldn't stomach it when they were dealing with the, the rent payment issues that they were um, in the height of the pandemic. And so what that led to was many agents being forced to split these schedules up into probably single unit policies or single location policies in many cases, um, many times fitting into uh, the, the binding authority market appetites. But what that came with was some of these tighter terms. And so you keep hearing about the markets, uh, or excuse me, the, the courts being closed and um, a lot of the claims being pent up. And we don't really know how much is being held back and how much the floodgates will open when the courts do return to full capacity. But one of my concerns is that um, in an attempt to alleviate some of that short-term pain, uh, which was absolutely a reality in, in many cases, a necessary decision that I, I completely understand, the, the kickback and the problem in the longer run, I fear, is going to be a rash of claim declinations that we simply haven't had insurance experiencing in years past, especially because of the extended soft market where not only was pricing down, but terms had been broadened. And so as we see some of the hot button issues, we see uh, assault and battery sublimits, we see assault and battery uh, exclusions outright. We also see proprietary language um, within assault and battery endorsements where they're offering maybe a, a million dollar limit, but on their terms, uh, with the carriage proprietary language. Firearms is another, you know, firearms and weapons are other limitations and exclusions that you'll see increasingly on a lot of these carrier form sets. In certain parts of the country, the injury to independent contractors and employees and subcontractors is more of a concern than in others, but it's, it's not no concern anywhere. And so that's something that carriers are increasingly being able to put on their policies in an attempt to alleviate some of the price increases. Uh, hard hammers and soft hammers also are very relevant within the treatment of subcontractors for property owners when they have, whether it be basic you know, repair and maintenance work or anything more substantial. And all of these tighter terms, we're not really feeling the pain of, of them going to work yet as these claims have been a bit pent up. But it'll be interesting to see, do we have a, a moment where there's an inflection point where a certain segment of the marketplace says, I will go for those higher prices. I will go for those broader forms at a higher expense because I've learned the hard way that it, it's, it's expensive, but it's less expensive than having to handle these claims on my own. Yeah, having to pay those claims out of pocket where you're really self-insuring for that exposure. It, it puts a lot of burden on the retail agent because they got to be reviewing all those coverage forms and really relating that to their to their client in terms of what the term reduction is. 
And I'm sure you're doing when you're making the presentation to them, uh, but it's still something they, they have to be doing and making sure that uh, it's clear to their client. Now, a couple of other questions. So are you seeing any sale of active shooter insurance? We see that it's a, it's a different segment of the marketplace. I'm certainly far from an expert on that space. There's a couple of dedicated programs that will do that. Obviously, tragically, we turn the news on far too often and see why these policies are something that insured should absolutely be considering. Um, and many of these programs will go direct to retail agents. And so it's something where not only are they providing the product, but probably more importantly, uh, they're providing the education about what the product's built to do. Um, and I think that a lot of what these products provide as much as an indemnification on the back end is some advisement of how you can control your exposure. Obviously, these are events that nobody can predict and it's very difficult to control, but there are some proactive measures uh, that can be put in place. And I think that the twist on a lot of these products is that they're as much a risk management tool as they are an indemnification product. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to ask you about was pollution liability, because in, in my experience, you know, particularly on the HAB side, but just in real estate in general, you know, those clients don't buy pollution liability insurance and they have a significant exposure. And even when you're talking about HAB and all the life safety issues, if you have some type of natural gas or oil fired heat and cooking, and there's a potential for a carbon monoxide leak, there's a potential for massive BI in, the, in those facilities. And a lot of people don't understand that that's not going to be, that's a pollution claim, not necessarily a general liability claim. No, we, we spend a lot of time talking to agents about exclusion F on the general liability form. Um, and I think that the encouraging part is that pollution, you know, is similar in, to cyber, but maybe a few years ahead, it's becoming contractually required far more often. But um, even more than that, I think that just the, the conversation is more prevalent across many classes of business. Um, and I'll include hotels and motels in this real estate discussion here. I mean, we've seen the Legionella claims. Obviously, mold is the leading cause of loss um, in many of these pollution environments. The lead claims that are still a concern, uh, particularly in parts of the country with older buildings, that's another uh, exposure that is increasingly needing to be met by the uh, environmental markets. Because again, when we when we talk about a, a firming market being more than just prices going up, it's also carriers, maybe at the same price, but introducing exclusions. And so the, the number of carriers that are available that on the GL side used to include lead coverage is lessening. And so that means that more of that lead coverage, if still in demand, is being provided by the environmental marketplace. Well, Sean, any parting comments for the retail agents out there from a GL perspective, GL and excess uh, perspective? Anybody that's listening to this podcast in the first place is clearly somebody that's constantly trying to educate themselves, be at the forefront of the market. It's exciting to be in a very fast-paced environment like we are here. And wherever you sit, retail, underwriting, wholesale side, uh, things are constantly changing. And like I said at the beginning, even with what should be seemingly simple, an apartment building that needs insurance, how complicated can that be? With all of the legal considerations, uh, the plaintiff's bars, the risk specific components that must be taken into consideration, it's a very complex environment. And so 
it requires us constantly talking to our carrier partners, retailers constantly staying engaged in, in communication with their admitted carriers and their wholesale partners. Uh, and I think working hard to make sure that we all understand and try our best to operate in the same foxhole. We are all trying to make and ensure pay as little as possible for as much coverage as we can possibly provide. Um, when it's a firming environment right now, like we are in right now, it's not as easy to be able to deliver. We got you a 10% price reduction and more coverage. We're having more difficult conversations. And so our focus is to be able to walk into what might be a tough meeting and a tough presentation with an agent that feels as empowered as they possibly can, but that is able to demonstrate to their client that no stone has been left unturned, that they're stroking a check with confidence because while they might not love the number, they feel confident that they've been well represented. And it's our job, in addition to the carriers out there and all the other partners working with retail agents to make sure that they can have that confidence. And so I would say, keep listening to this podcast and reading everything you can uh, get your hands on as this environment continues to change and pick your partners wisely. There's a lot of good ones out there. And in this people business, building relationships with people that you can rely on, that you trust, that you know are going to do a confident job, I think is the best way to ultimately be able to satisfy your clients. Well, thanks, Sean. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having us. Great spending the past hour with you. Thanks for listening to this edition of Charlie's Corner, brought to you by Iroquois Group. I am Edwin K. Morris, and I invite you to join us for the next edition of the Trusted Advisor Podcast.